I injected my L-carnitine this morning, which I haven't been injecting L-carnitine for a while. And I did the other day, I pulled it out. And so I was about to work out today and felt like I could get some benefit. And I did my ventral glute and hit a fucking, no, I gotta not say that word too early in the podcast. <laughs> we will get demonetized. I hit a nerve in my glute and it hurt. Have you ever done that where you hit a nerve and the whole muscle like seizes up and you know, you're in a nerve. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's so terrible feeling. I've done it. My delt to it, like shoots the needle out because your whole muscle contracts extremely hard. Yep. And now I've been yep. so sore. I'm like hobbling and limping because the ventral glute, for those who don't know, it's like the gluteus medius that wraps around like the hip it's right underneath the hip so anything that ab ducts like pulls away from the body like when you're on the abductor the bad girls that muscle on the side of the uh the butt it's in so much pain i've just been hobbling around all day long from that and i, I don't know like it's only I got any benefit a from the carnitine <laughs> it's only happened to me a handful of times i feel like it's much easier in smaller muscle groups to do i definitely have done it in my quads but back in the day if i ever would oh. shoot anything my quads and yeah i've only brutal. i've done it like one maybe like a handful of times in my delts it's it happened it just like zing and it just locks up and like literally feels like it shoots the needle out because your whole it's like being connected to a, an electrical probe and then i've never done it in my ventral glute i didn't even know that i mean that's why i like ventral glutes is because they're pretty void of uh, like mm -hmm. uh, neurovascular bundles but man i hit something shit hurts so i'm in so much pain killing me it's like and you felt like the carnitine didn't do anything either well not at that point because i was freaking hurting all morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sucks uh, but i need I, to start experimenting with it a little bit carnitine's pretty cool i feel like i don't know i do i definitely feel like it gives you a bit of an acute boost i think in energy like stamina endurance for sure like if i were you i'd definitely do it before runs i think it's highly effective mm -hmm. as far as that goes a lot of the data that like you know, we go off of is super mechanistic. And I don't know how much of that really translates into real world, but a lot of people anecdotally really like it. Um, I first heard of it a few years back. I think Derek had kind of talked a lot about it, but I heard about it from another guy first named Chase Irons. You know, you familiar with Chase? I'm not. Yeah, he's, uh, he's out of Chicago. He's got a small following. He has a podcast where he basically will just open up a chat section and he responds to people. But he was like, a, he made a ton of videos on our quarantine. He was making it himself and I actually ordered it from him. He would just brew it in his kitchen. He was very open with that. He had uh, tons of videos on homebrew and how he made his own gear and also how he made carnitine. And I just ordered it from him. So this is like two or three years ago. Um, he's grown and he's gotten a lot bigger now, but he was doing crazy experiments. I think he was IVing it at one point and taking insane doses. Like we usually recommend 250 to 500 milligrams. And he was up in like multiple grams. So, you know, thousands of milligrams and talking about the, like just his own experimentation. He dieted for a bodybuilding show and got super lean. And he felt like it was a huge part of that. Um, he talked a lot about the mood effects. And I think that not a lot of people talk about that, but I do feel like it does help improve your mood. The mechanism for that is probably increased acetylcholine levels that, and it, it cause it can mm. cross the blood brain barrier and cause increased acetylcholine, which can help with mood and focus and energy and everything. Um, cause I remember he talked a lot about that when others didn't. And he also at those extremely high doses, he ran into what he thought was like some insomnia because it almost gave him too much energy. And if he did it too close gotcha. at that time, he felt like he couldn't sleep. But I think Derek was Derek and him, Alex Keichel, 
a lot of those guys are kind of the first few to talk about it. And we like it a lot at like Merrick. I think it's great for guys who, who have good levels of testosterone, but are feeling like they need a little extra push. It's something that's great. And the mechanism for that is the increased androgen receptor density or an improvement in your androgen receptor health, essentially. And the androgen receptor, of course, is the receptor that testosterone binds to. So by improving those, we essentially make you more sensitive to testosterone. And I always tell guys too, like there's a ton of data at this point that the level of testosterone really doesn't dictate the growth. Like, you know, there's a good amount of data on that when it comes to physiologic levels, that is of course, super physiologic levels, a different story, but they've done studies, uh, Stu, Stu, I forget the guy's name. His first name's Stu. I know Lane Norton's close with them. Uh, he was an author on this study, but they essentially took guys one group, high testosterone, low androgen receptor content density, and then another group, low testosterone and high androgen receptors, so more sensitive androgen receptors, the lower testosterone group, I think, performed better as far as hypertrophy and strength and things. So what that told us is it's the genetic variation in androgen receptors and what happens at the cellular like receptor and transcription level that matters more when it comes to growth than it is just the testosterone level. And then recently, uh, they, I've, I saw a study come out and I'll have to find this one too, where they took guys who I believe were basically castrated because they had prostate cancer. And when you have prostate cancer, you want to re reduce the exposure to androgens as much as possible. So they took these guys with essentially zero testosterone and they gained like 10 pounds of muscle or something by putting them through training and proper nutrition. So it was like kind of blew the whole testosterone thing, like the whole theory that we need all this testosterone to grow muscle completely out of the water. And I've kind of harped on that on many podcasts where I've seen literal professional athletes with a ton of muscle who have low testosterone. And it seems really counterintuitive to everything that we know. Uh, I think podcast one, we talked about Nick bear and you know, his, uh, his levels of testosterone and everything. And he just posted his levels yesterday. You sent them to me. What were they a hundred or something? Yeah. Yeah. Dieting down for a show and a good to kind of show that that's the difference between naturally and natural and enhanced competing is when you do crash diet that hard or really try and push to that level of leanness, your hormones do suffer as a result of it. Uh, yeah. And he actually put up a video yesterday, kind of going to his DEXA results is they got close. And as he really made the final push, uh, lost some lean body mass too, which yeah. could potentially be that lower testosterone amount. So, yeah, there was some, I was looking at the comments to that and definitely some guys like this doesn't prove shit. It just proves that he shut down because he was using something. That's where my mind went to. I'm like, unfortunately, this doesn't <laughs> prove anything. You know, it literally could be that he came off and now he is, that has suppression, but it's not uncommon. Like you said, that if somebody's in a massive caloric restriction under extreme physical demand, that we reduce the signaling from the brain, the hypothalamic pituitary axis, the luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone production, which his were very low. And that's going to reduce mm -hmm. signaling to the testes. So I don't know. I, I, I think that if he is natural, it would make sense. You know, of course there's always doubters, but he did say he's been getting labs every month of this, I believe and showing them. So I would like to see that. That'd be cool. I, I, yeah. And I've seen some of his prior ones that we talked about were like, yeah, I think he was in the five hundreds and luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating right. hormone were in normal ranges. So, you know, like we've speculated there, I think there maybe was a time he probably dabbled when he was big, maybe. big, 
Um, and maybe the last few years is kind of just transitioning and trying to do it on his own, or I could be full of shit. And he's yeah, never maybe he didn't. Anything, so. Yeah, you just don't know. I mean, I think my yeah. main point there is that if you look at him right now, he actually does, even though he's lost the muscle, he's got a lot of muscle and he's still pretty strong and he's maintaining that with like a hundred testosterone. And I think the the overwhelming like thought for most people is that if you have a low testosterone, you can't hold on to muscle. You're just going to be skinny fat. Yep. You're going to, you know, yep. and he's proven that wrong. And Josh, I mean, you like, I'm not just blowing hot air up your ass. Like I was with you last week and you're a big fuck dude. Like, despite what you can see on, uh, on the camera right now, Josh is thick. <laughs> like, you know, he's, uh, his calves are the size of my quads and he's just like, got huge, <laughs> volume uh voluminous is not the word that's like hair i always think it is but a lot of volume to his to his body his muscles are super full and what's your testosterone at right now like 600 probably uh between five and 600 i would imagine yeah that's insane yeah. i mean you're holding on and yeah you did things in the past and i think we'll kind of talk about that today is our history with these things but you, you grew that muscle on that, but you've been, you've maintained that muscle. And honestly, like I told him, he was showing me pictures while we were at the gym with our other buddy, Caleb, another PCC over at Merrick. And we were talking about competing because Caleb competes and Josh showed his pictures and I was looking at his legs and I'm like, dude, I think your legs are bigger now than when you were competing, trying to get them big and you freaking run marathons. Like you ran 11 miles a day. Is that what you ran? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 40 running... miles, around 40 miles total this week. Yeah, that's insane. So 40 miles of running in a week, you're on low dose testosterone, maintaining normal physiologic testosterone, and you're still able to have bigger legs now than you did when you were on gear and trying to grow your legs. Uh, I know like your legs were cut at that point, like you were lean. So you lost the glycogen and everything, but they're solid now. They're, they're hot. Like the first thing I saw when he comes out in his shorts is big ass, fastest medialis, like taking over his kneecap. I'm jealous as hell. And my weird stumpy looking legs and a pair of jeans. All you can see is my calves, That's true. basically. That's true. <laughs> yes. He's trying to wear Pros skinny and cons jeans. Of it. Trying to wear skinny jeans and it's like the quad and then the little knee and then out here is a calf. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the pants are like almost like a bell bottom because they're being ripped apart by the, <laughs> by the calf. Yep. yep. Yeah. But and it looks cool in shorts. It does. And I think I've really... The reason behind it, and I think this goes for most guys, I actually was uh, re-watching. Are you familiar with Ryan Fisher? Yeah, yeah. He's a crossfitter. Okay. He's the guy yeah, who cussed so I was out watching. the uh, judges. Yeah, and told him he was going to kill him. Yeah. Um, so I was watching him the other day, and he was talking about like his levels. And I think Ryan's like at like 350, and that's normally where he's been the last couple of years. But same thing, like maintains in a, a lot of size. So I just think it like probably comes through years of consistency, like that becomes the new normal for your body is it gets accustomed to holding that amount of tissue, uh, rather, you know, rather or not that you used exogenous hormones, obviously that can push you past a genetic barrier that maybe allowed you to hold on to more than you would have had you not used them. Uh, but I really think it probably just comes through years of consistency. Your body gets used to holding that tissue and then, you know, it's almost harder to lose it than it is to maintain it at that point. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think consistency is obviously huge, but the more I go on, I'm just like really truly believe in genetics because I've 
dabbled myself and let's get into that today let's talk about all like where we started when we started yep. how we started and all the crazy shit we've done but i have done so much and never grown anywhere near the level because i just don't have the body to and i've said this over and over again and i know you say i'm big and look good and everything i agree i look good but i would never ever in a million years no matter how much shit you put in me unless i synthalled every single belly to just look like one of those dudes <laughs> that you see on you know the instagram reels from india where their biceps are all fucked up i would have to do that much synthal to ever look like the dudes on the olympia stage where josh on the other hand if you loaded this dude up with a ton of gear and extreme amounts of food and year after year like i do think you have the the physique, uh, as far as the flow and the muscle bellies and everything too. Um, Caleb, our friend too, like I said, I think his body was much closer to mine where he looks excellent right now and he's competed and he's done well, but as far as could he go on the Olympia stage, probably not. And he knows that we just don't have the genetics for it. Him and I both have longer limbs. We don't have the full muscle bellies like you do I think you need shorter, stumpier muscle bellies and any you know, things like that, but genetics, like Ryan Fisher, you look at that dude and he's just got genetically like his abs, like bulge, you know, I, I, you could see like when he was a kid, he probably had that little, like that little look of being a stumpy little muscular guy. And he's super short, shorter than you, yep. I think too. Um, oh, gosh, then, by like five, I think he's like five, five, very short. Yeah. And then there, like I've publicly said, a lot of times I've talked to Jason Kalipa, ex winner of the CrossFit games, very, very fit athlete and has maintained a ton of um, lean muscle mass. He doesn't look like a bodybuilder, but he looks like anybody like, you know, 99% of guys would love to look like him chiseled six pack, big burly chest, huge arms, delts, quads, strong natural definitely natural had me look at his labs let me you know he said i could repeat his numbers it was around 400 just like ryan fisher lower but he just has you know genetics he doesn't have genetics to be a bodybuilder he has genetics to be an amazing athlete and look really good and i think he'll maintain that as long as he continues to train which he trains hard as hell every single day and eats right so i don't know genetics i think play the biggest role here um yeah and then and I, I learned that through self-experimentation and that's what we can get into. You, and yeah. And before we go down that route, do you think that back to the androgen uh, receptor density that we were talking about earlier with L-carnitine, do you think that probably is a big variable in the genetic factor that maybe someone like me or a Jason Kalipa, like just has like a just dense amount of androgen receptors that regardless of my testosterone levels from a young age, my body was just able to utilize that and maybe build a, I don't know, more, uh, more muscle early on that stuck around. Yeah. I kind of think so for sure. Yeah. I think there's definitely yeah. genetic variations with that satellite cells the transcription of the dna at you know the dna level there's probably so many things that go into it. it's not just testosterone it's not just the drugs because like i've harped on a million times before you can load a dude up with a ton of testosterone a ton of hormones and sit them on the couch and they might have a marginal increase in lean mass woohoo but they're never going to look shredded and big and have you know all the muscles that you want unless they put in the work as far as nutrition and exercise and all that on top of it we do know, you know, there was one study that showed that guys who didn't work out that got loaded up with testosterone did have more lean body mass at the end of the study than else. But was it lean body mass to where you looked at it and went, damn, that's an impressive physique? No, I mean, it was a statistical increase. It was a small increase, but it wasn't a noticeable one, you know? Um, and I, I'm harping a lot on genetics, but I'd also like to like point out Josh's hard work. I mean, he ran 40 fucking miles this week while he was on a con he was at a conference for a few days so away from his routine having to go out to late night dinners 
all of that because you were texting me way after I was asleep saying you got back from a long <laughs> dinner. So you're still able to fit all that in while working two jobs, while figuring out the podcast with us. And you're still going, I called you last night and you were at the gym. Josh put me through a workout last week, which he said was nothing to him. And I was sore for four days. So the work <laughs> is there too. I mean, if you, if you don't have the genetics and you work really hard, you can still look really good. And that's where I've been able to show that. I mean, I don't think I have, I have decent genetics and it's not like I'm, you know, look awful. I have okay genetics. I just don't have the bodybuilder genetics, but I've been able to capitalize on what I do have by hard work. And I've made a lot of gains in those times when I put in the most work. So it's a mixture of both genetics and work, work in the kitchen, work in the bedroom by sleeping, work in the gym, work on 24 seven, you know, and then the steroids are literally just a supplement. That's literally all they are. Um, Ian Vier the other day on bro chat said something amazing. It was like, it's no special diet. It's no special workout. It's no special drugs. What it is, is I had one good day where I worked out perfectly. I slept appropriately. I had my nutrition dialed in. And then I repeated that day for thousands of days after that. And that's why I look like this. And I was like, it's exactly right. You know, it was just yeah. The, yeah. the consistency, like you said, 100%. So yeah, can't harp on that enough. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people forget too, that genetics, uh, yeah, obviously play a big role in how you look too, but then on the performance aspect of things as well, like there are people from, you know, just a look test don't look like anything special, I guess, muscularity wise, but their sport, whatever it may be, or whatever activity it is they excel in just because they have the muscle fiber type or, you know, genetic predisposition to just excel in that area. So they, if they put in the hard work, sure, they might not look like a fitness model, but they may out perform you every single day of the week just because they have the genetics to do so so there's a lot yeah. of variables that factor into that yeah i think we always default to what one looks like because i think that's what 95 mm percent -hmm. of 99 of the guys including myself always want you know is to look like you're strong yeah. and lift well and everything but yeah i mean i've definitely been like had my ass handed to me by guys who don't even look like they lift in the you know, like especially when it comes to like olympic lifting you know, like look oh, yeah. at the, the Olympic lifters are so tiny a lot of times and they look good without a shirt on a lot of them. Some of them don't though. And they're able to like, you know, clean and jerk like 400 pounds. I'm like, shit, I'm struggling to deadlift that. I can't imagine building the momentum to throw that up and then squat underneath it and catch it on my, you know, my chest. That's insane. And there's little dudes who are like 130 pounds that are cleaning and jerking that and it's just mind boggling. So that's yeah, not we're just talking more about like the looks when it comes here. And it'd be interesting to, to, un, to look into like the actual performance. Cause I'm always thinking about the hypertrophy, but how much does, is the performance increased by the drugs? And I think there might be an argument that that's where it would probably shine even more than, you know, the, the, um, muscle growth alone. Yeah. Just from a ability to obviously recover at a faster rate, but then the increased force production too, exactly. like that has to add to it. And it's, if you're not training for hypertrophy, I mean, cause there is, I forget who it was that I was listening to on Huberman this week, um, exercise physiologist talking about Andy that, Galpin. that there is, 
Yeah, Andy got phenomenal, like super, super smart. If you he's got a six part series uh, that's pretty incredible. You guys like to nerd out about that stuff, but talking about how you know there is a point that if you do get too big, essentially like with the sarcomeres grow too much to where like they're almost it's stacked on top of each other so much to where you don't get the optimal amount of force production. So in some instances, it actually helps you to physically be a little bit smaller if you're training for just power and strength. So it's kind of interesting how there's a cross. Obviously, there's some correlation between being bigger and stronger, but not always. Yeah, they've always talked about how, like, you know, more more muscle always translates to strength, but that's not always the case, you know. And CrossFitters yeah. proved that for sure. CrossFitters yeah. like changed the, in my opinion, it was like CrossFitters popularized strength. In my opinion, powerlifting has always existed. And there, mm -hmm. that was a little niche community, but then CrossFit went mainstream and it became really cool to get really strong, at least for a little bit. I know CrossFit's not as big as it once was, but they were, it was crazy to watch those guys. Cause you had dudes out there who were 175 pounds and were clean and jerking 315, and then going and running like three miles and then swimming and shit and rowing all in a workout. So that was wild, but you would see them and just be like, Whoa, they do not look like and the females even, you know, they're these tiny little yep. females, they're throwing 200 pounds overhead. I'm like, she just did my max for reps. <laughs> you know, I'm a hundred pounds heavier than her. And then she crawled on her hands or walked on her hands for, you know, a mile around the track and then did a, a thousand pull-ups and then swam yep. through a lake. It's just wild. Yeah. Which for those athletes, it's always even made more sense for me that you would add in some extra help because it's only going to help you recover, generate just more force production when you need it. Um, I mean, especially even from an endurance standpoint, there certainly can be a lot of benefits from it. So it's that's kind of the crazy thing about performance enhancing drugs. I think people think of just bodybuilding when it comes to steroids, but it's really about how you're training and how you're utilizing them. You can get so many different benefits when you do add them in. True. Yeah. I've always wondered yeah. about, I've changed my mind kind of a lot about the cross athletes. I was always convinced they were on a ton of stuff. I still feel like it's probably widely used. I think every single sport there is when mm -hmm. there's money involved, people are definitely going to do things. 100%. But I do think there's probably some natural dudes out there too, just be, you know, that are kind of genetic outliers and who work really, really hard. I've kind of, I used to be convinced that 100% of people were on something and they're 100% using things you can't convince me otherwise. And then seeing more and more professional athletes and people like that come through, which a lot of them I won't name, but I've seen their labs and they've, talked to me very openly about things and they'll literally confide in me that they hadn't maybe are thinking about doing things for the first time, you know, et cetera. I've kind of changed my mind. It's kind of wild. Of course they could be lying, but I do think that there's probably people out there who will just work really, really, really hard. They have good genetics and they capitalize on that with hard work inside the gym and outside the gym 24 seven, like Ian Vire said, day after day, do the same exact thing, consistency like you do, you've continued to do for decades. And that's why you look that way. Yeah. And you as well. And I think it just, you know, I try to always explain to people that the consistency aspect of it does 
does of course we all like the vanity part of it that it makes us look better but i feel like just from a personal standpoint i excel in life um just at a higher level when i'm doing those things day in and day out having that routine um and for you know the average listener or someone who just wants to get healthier it doesn't have to be that extreme of running 40 miles a week just having a routine that you are following every day where you're choosing to maybe make yourself a little physically uncomfortable through exercise. I just feel like kind of puts you in a different state of mind to excel in all other facets. 100%. Yeah. Today I worked out hard and I was thinking about that. <clears throat> I was thinking, cause I did this superset of, uh, I just did it the other week and it burned like hell. So I wanted to do it again. It, it was a uh, lateral raise and then, um, what would you call it? Front raise. Like just, you know, front mm -hmm. pulling in front of you. And I never really did front raises in my, um, like bodybuilding or more lifting days and kind of hurt, but they don't hurt anymore. So I've been kind of incorporating them. And I was thinking that the superset that I was doing ended up with some total volume of like, I don't know, 30 or 40. I think I was doing 20 of each and just grinding it out with all kinds of pain. And I was thinking that from a scientific level of thinking, if you're going to hash this out, as far as like, is this optimal for hypertrophy or strength or whatever, probably not at all, but there gets to a point, like after my lateral raises, my delts are pretty dead. And then I have to start doing front raises. And I think I was, yeah, I was doing 20 of the lateral and 20 of the front with lightweight, like 20 pounds. And as soon as I start to do those front raises, like the quit in me just starts screaming, like, stop this burns, this burns, stop. And I was thinking that this is not even a workout for my delts at this point. It's a workout for mental toughness. And if people are going to the gym and only thinking and analyzing like what, like, you know, fractional plate can I put on to have X amount of, you know, progressive overload this week, like you're missing the point of the gym. Sometimes you just got to go in there and get really uncomfortable and grind it out. I mean, there's bodybuilders, you know, that'll do insane drop sets. And when you look at the science, you're like, oh, that's not superior. They could have got much more if they would have just, you know, done one rep more than they did the previous week. But they're growing. And, you know, I think the yeah. biggest thing is they're growing mentally. Like you have those, like Ian, like I has said, and Fuad and all those guys, they've, they're very successful in their personal lives because they learn to push through that and CrossFitters even more. So I think, you know, if you want to feel pain, just do a CrossFit workout because you start feeling like you want to quit maybe one to two minutes in, and then you, you look up and there's still 15 minutes on the clock where you got to continue doing the same stuff and you have to learn how to like, you know, dig deep. And there was times in my life, like I was just talking to a guy yesterday about studying through school, like all through graduate school and everything where I would stay up all night long and just grind. And it was similar. It's different pain, but you're like, man, I really want to quit right now. I really just want to watch TV and kick my feet up. But you, you have that mental toughness instilled in you from the workouts. I think honestly, where you're like, I didn't quit today at the gym and I won't quit now. Keep studying. Mm -hmm. I'll go to work. Well, I'll keep working. Like I work seven days a week right now. There's a lot of days I don't want to, but it yep. just instilled in me now, yep. you know? So I think there's deeper things. And yeah, at this point, I'm, I talk a lot about what you look like and the muscle growth and everything. Um, but I don't, I think that's like, that's the most important to most guys at this point in my life and your life too. I know we don't care about that. I mean, every guy would die to have your physique, probably mine too, but um, you know, you, we do it now for longevity and health. And like you said, feeling better, having a routine, all the strength that builds mentally, spiritually, if you want to say, you know, all that. So there's a lot of things outside of just strength and, or rather not even strength. A lot of guys don't care about strength. There's a lot more outside of hypertrophy. 
growth. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just the, um, I don't know, the positive reinforcement of the little wins that it gives you every day of like, hey, I was strong enough to push through that. And that just, again, kind of carries on into everything else that you're doing. Like you were saying, when obviously another tough obstacle is going to come up in life, that's how it goes. And just it kind of gives you this little like umph of confidence in yourself. Like, hey, you know what? I've been following this routine. I care about my health. If I'm strong enough to do that day in and day out, there's no reason that I can't tackle anything else. And if, you know, I always tell my wife that, you know, from us doing this podcast, even that's kind of the biggest thing that I want to instill into people is, you know, it, your health and fitness really is just about that, that it's building a foundation for the rest of your life that's going to allow you to excel in all other areas. You know, obviously, the again, looking great benefit of it is awesome. Um, but when you start viewing it through that lens, I think it changes it a little bit, too, and makes it a little bit easier uh, to fall in line with the routine because uh, you know that it's about a lot more than just uh, how you look in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. It teaches you so much because even the, how you look, it takes so long. If, if even if all you're doing yeah. is caring about, you know, what you look like, which is fine, yeah. but you learn a lot through that. Cause how many people go to the gym and give it, even if they give it a month, their body's probably not going to change at all. Really. You know, I know mine yeah. really doesn't in a month. Not, I mean, now it might, because I have a lot of muscle memory and I do make changes a little bit quicker, but in the beginning, it was, it took a while. I mean, it was a while before mm -hmm. I started looking like I actually worked out. It might've been a year or two for me. Uh, I had a friend who was one of those genetic outliers who like within the first week of working out, I was like, holy shit. And I knew he wasn't doing anything <laughs> because we were, we were too young. And we also, he was learning everything from me. I would like, I was telling him what we should do because I was the one like reading bodybuilding.com forums and stuff. And he was literally like within his first year of lifting, benching 315, like just bulging out of like the wife beaters. He was insane. And in high school, I remember even when we, uh, we would have those fitness tests and we would train for them with the pull-ups and sit-ups and everything, you know, yes, when we would train yes. for that for like a month of pull-ups, it would like every year he would develop this baseball of a bicep from the pull-ups and he would flex and everybody be like, Ooh, because he was, they had so much like genetic potential. It was crazy. Um, but get back to my point, you have to put in so much work for so long with such delayed gratification that you learn yeah. that. I mean, that's like my, my life when you're somebody who pursues like medicine, you better get really used to delayed gratification because you're talking about four years of undergrad, if you can get out in four years and then four years of your medical school, and then anywhere from three upwards to seven years of residency. And then a lot of people will do a three-year fellowship after that. So it's just 10 years of post-school and then you got eight years. So you're looking at like 18 years before you even start working as a doctor on your own. That's after high yep. school too. So these are people who are like, won't even get their first normal paying job for 18 years. Some people, you know, like neurosurgeons, things do a fellowship after their long residency. So you have to be really used to delayed gratification. I, it took me, was, I think it took five years of undergrad, four years of school, and then three years of residency. So like 12 years. Uh, and I think that like fitness taught me to be okay with that. And then I'm still okay yeah. with it. I mean, where some people fuck up, like with finances, uh, is like, that delayed gratification, you finally get your job and then you go buy a Mercedes and your doctor house and everything. And I've been like, Hey, I've, I've delayed gratification for this long. Let me do it for like another decade. And let me just save every little bit that I can 
And because I've, I've learned it from fitness and stuff, I know it, you know, I'm like, let's suffer for a little bit longer. Let's see how long we can go. Yep. And I think I've heard Huberman talk about this too, that like, um, even with just like small things that you do delay gratification on, like I'm going to wait a little bit to eat, or I'm not just, I'm not going to snack on that. I'm going to save that treat for later this weekend. It uh, again, kind of builds those little wins within you. Uh, just like you saying, well, even though I have money in the bank, I'm not going to spend it all. I'm going to choose to be frugal. Like it just, I don't know, kind of gives you this like internal little boost and power of like, man, I can do this with anything. And I think just gives you a lot more control um, maybe over just impulses everywhere else in life. And uh, like you were saying, fitness is a great, uh, you know, analogy to use for kind of just building that foundation and that wall up year over year. And that goes for obviously so many different things, uh, your finances, your career. I know you and I talk about a lot that like we kind of live our lives like a monk sometimes and are up at 6 a.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. But for right now, I'm fine doing that because I know that there will be a day that it doesn't have to be that way, but I'll have done the work to allow myself to do that. And I think that's for fitness. Like we were saying, you know, eventually you get to a point where things are easier to maintain. It's just like a business. You know, it takes you probably years to get to that point to where you can step away a little bit and it doesn't take so much hard work and dedication to maintain what you've built. But that's a byproduct of everything that went into it for years and years beforehand. Yeah, and sometimes people only see that end result. Yeah. And they think like, oh man, I, I just want to, you know, get to that basically. And it's like, well, you would never have that ability to do that if you were not somebody who uh, didn't have the, uh, I guess, strength and patience and uh, consistency to actually get there in the first place. 100%. Yeah. That's me, right? And that's my physique exactly right now. Anything that I have, I. I work out two times a week right now, Saturday and Sunday. And throughout the week, I may try to do some push-ups and squats and walk around the building a few times. In the summer, our walks will increase because we'll be able to. Other than that, it's literally what maintains my physique. And I don't think there's a person who would say that they look at me and don't know that I lift. You know, they, they mm -hmm. would say like, you've got a physique of, it's above average for sure. Um, Hermosi talks about that. He says Stan Efferdine told him that his physique is now... Um, it's like a passive income essentially where he put yeah. all the front work in and now he has to do mm -hmm. very little to maintain, just like you said, like business. And I 100% when I heard that, I was like, Oh hell yeah, that's what I got. I got a passive income on my physique yep. 100% yep. because I put years and years and years in, and now I, I no longer have the time or that's a lie. I hate when people say that I have the time. I no longer have the desire to do that. I put my effort yep. into other things. Your focus like is different. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, but I maintain that and maintain it for health and all of that. I want to stay strong and able to maintain most of my strength and most of my ability. And I can still function and I have the metabolic benefits and things, but it's like, you know, passive income now, which is nice. And then, yeah, yeah to your absolutely. point of, of like, of, uh, depriving yourself of things. I think it's so it, it helps so much. I do it every day. Uh, there's like, I'll try to purposefully, like the best, the, the easiest way I think to do it is with your phone. When you want to reach for your phone to check Instagram or something, mm -hmm. just be like, Nope, like don't do it. And then it, it, yeah, those little, it's just like, I can't remember. I'm sure Huberman always just harps on dopamine. So I'm sure it has something to do with dopaminergic pathway either way. Anyway, I think it's beneficial. And that's a huge thing. Like if you can do that, like try to do it five times a day or 10 times a day, make a, like things that you want to do. I'd say like for younger guys, big things would be like 
you want to like look at porn, just be like, nope, like just don't do it just for yep. just deprive yourself. Cause there's going to be a strong urge for that. And if you say like, no to yep. that, that's big phone, like TikTok, Instagram, younger guys don't do that. Like your life will be so much better. And I'm not saying that porn or Instagram or TikTok are necessarily bad for yourself, but if you deprive yourself from them, you learn how to deprive yourself from things that give you immense dopamine explosions essentially. And I think what you do then is store your dopamine up and dopamine is very motivating. And so you continue to be motivated to go grind for other things and put your effort and energy into other things that are more important, like studying or work or what have you, you know? So as a young guy, try to deprive yourself of some of those like pleasures, those instant gratification pleasures, and you'll, it'll go far. Yeah, no. And I think you and I've talked about that a lot with the social media, um, just that we think that's probably a big issue for most people that they don't even realize is, I think probably every day too, you like you just have this certain amount of bandwidth, uh, that, you know, even just mental acuity, uh, that we've got. And as you started that each dopamine hit is just pulling a little bit from that. And I know even, you know, just anecdotally on days for me, when I'm just kind of one of those constantly scrolling or always pulling up my phone by the end of the day, I'm so much more drained or don't have the drive to really do the things that I probably need to, to close out the day. Whereas days where I'm kind of locked in have, you know, just very lasered and focus on one task out of, after the other without, um, any of those other things causing my brain to scatter and squirrel brain, uh, you just feel like you've got a lot more left in the tank. Um, and in my opinion, too, helps you enjoy a lot of what you're doing in the now as well. Um, I think sometimes like those, your phone and things are an escape from what's actually going on. And sure, work sucks, you know, sometimes and your day to day tasks aren't the most fun. But if you can just get focused in on those without having something pull you away from them, I think you can actually learn to enjoy them a little bit more, too. 100%. Yeah, I think I remember there was a time a year or two ago when Victoria left for the weekend to go see family and I didn't go along and I didn't have wasn't working with Merrick yet. So I wasn't working like my seven day week, crazy weekends. I had the weekend off. And I remember just like kind of sitting around super bored after the gym. I really didn't have much to do because I don't really do much unless she's around. Um, now I do a lot of work <laughs> and stuff, but she's gone. I remember just like looking at my phone for like hours because what hell else was I going to do? And just scrolling and being bombarded by Instagram. And I felt wrecked at the end of the day. I remember literally yeah. feeling like my eyes kind of hurt, which is a physical thing, but even like internally, I just felt drained and kind of blah and zombie. Mm -hmm. And I almost felt depressed and I wasn't depressed for any reason. I just felt depressed because it was like, I literally feel like my pool had been drained. Like you said, cause I do feel like mm -hmm. you've almost got like this. And I don't know how much, how much truth there is to this, but it feels like you've got like a pool of dopamine that probably replenishes like every day or through other activities or what have you, but you, you definitely, it's like finite, you know, like, or it, it can be used up. It will replenish eventually, yep. but it feels like you'd be used up and you, you get that way when you do certain things, you know, you have like, and that's probably the, the issue with when it comes to like, um, using things like cocaine or ecstasy is, you know, you use up all that so much like the night before people will feel depressed for a few days later because, you know, it's trying to recuperate. That's well-known. That's been well-known forever. So I don't know why we don't realize mm -hmm. that you can get hung over like that. If you bombard yourself with dopamine all day long, the same way, it's almost like a teeny little microdose of ecstasy. Boom, 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 TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. you know, and then you're just depleting yep. yourself. Yep. So, I mean, you would be much better off 
doing some things that make you uncomfortable, holding back, like you said, living almost like a monk, because it makes things more enjoyable. You have more drive. You're able to tap into that dopamine when needed rather than just chronically, you know, letting it leak all day long. Yeah. And I think the times that you then, uh, you know, and when we say live like a monk, it's Adam and I don't just sit in a box all day and eat chicken and rice. Like we have social lives. We have things that we go and do for fun, obviously outside of fitness and work and things of that nature. But it makes those experiences so much more enjoyable, in my opinion, because you've earned them when you get to them. Um, You know, my big outlet is hiking. And, you know, here in April with uh, one of my good buddies, Grant, we try and do one to two hiking trips, kind of more extreme, uh, you know, crazy hikes uh, a couple of times a year. And whenever I get to those, I'm like, man, it's like such a release for me because again, I've been working hard. I've earned that time to go and just kind of do something I enjoy. Uh, when, whereas the opposite, when you're just kind of constantly taking in dopamine and not really having a central focus on bettering yourself every day, uh, you don't really even get the same amount of satisfaction you probably would from doing the things that you normally would enjoy. Absolutely. I think we exhausted this topic and we never got to what we were, uh, we never got to our intended thing, like how much, how, what drugs we've used, why we use them and why we recommend that you do not. So let's do that in the next episode. What do you say? Should we just do another one? Yeah, let's do another one. And the next time we can, we can cut this one. People are going to get bored of us. Do want to tell people (laughs) that, uh, that we are now going to be sponsored by Merrick Health and definitely want to remind you guys to go check out Merrick Health if you haven't yet. That is where Josh and I met. Josh is a patient care coordinator there. I'm one of the providers there. We, If you don't know what Merrick Health is, it's a telehealth platform. It's uh, I don't even like to call it telehealth. I think it's overall optimization. I don't even like to think of it as medicine. It's literally everything that could possibly make you better. Conversations like this can occur with your PCC because you get to meet with a dude like Josh and myself, you know? And then what we do is we do extremely in-depth lab work. That's kind of how we start just to get a look under your hood to see how you're functioning from a cellular physiologic level. We can check out things like hormones and inflammation and vitamin levels, nutritional statuses. And then we just basically give health coaching based on that. And then we team up with various providers, uh, doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, et cetera, in your state who could facilitate any treatment that you may need, be that hormone replacement therapy, or maybe you need to monitor your blood pressure, or maybe you are pre-diabetic and you need some glucose control. And I like to harp on the fact that we are not a TRT clinic and don't go to a place like Merrick Health if you just want testosterone because testosterone is something that we may do, but we do not only do TRT. We want to talk to you about how to make your life better. I mean, when you sign up with Merrick, you're going to get bombarded with a massive packet of recommendations, things like viewing some sunlight and getting excessive amounts of cardio, what you may think is excessive, but is, you know, literature uh, backed amounts of cardio and resistance training. We want you to track your macros and figure out your nutrients. And we suggest certain foods that you probably aren't getting. We can set you up with dietitians and health coaches. You know, we're going to do everything else outside of just the meds. So if you just want to go to some place to get TRT, which is cool, that's fine. Go to a TRT mill. But if you want overall health optimization and you want to better yourself as a human being inside, outside, you want to look better, feel better, excel at your job, go to a place like Merrick Health because we're going to take a really big, deep dive into that. And that's why I've been so passionate about it since the day that Derek over at More Plates, More Dates reached out to me and asked me to join because I knew that he was on this new path of 
he fucked around with hormones in one, at one point in his life. And all he cared about was steroids and his, he changed, you know, he's a highly successful businessman. He cares about his health and his longevity. He cares about your being there for his loved ones and continuing his progress in life. And he wanted to develop a platform where men like him who wanted to excel and become better than, than themselves, than their current being and become a new ascended version of themselves could go to and get the help from cutting edge research that, you know, unfortunately medicine right now won't do it unless you have an issue, medicine's not going to fix it. It's just going to react to things. And so we wanted to build a platform where we could prevent things and not only prevent things, but make you, you know, a superhuman. So that's my little spiel on American. I mean, you've been there a few months now. How, what have you experienced? Yeah. I mean, and to <clears throat> Dr. Hotchkiss's point, I think the services we provide at Merrick are just so vital, far beyond just a hormone replacement scenario. And I know Derek has talked about it even on other podcasts that it is, you know, really, I'd say about 50-50 with the patients that we see come through that are even on hormone replacement. There are a lot of people that come in that have great natural levels and we start looking at really everything else on under the sun, as far as what we can do to help optimize, you know, any issues that they may be having, or just from a preventative standpoint. Um, I think the old school approach of medicine was to not really worry about things until you hit a point to where like, oh, okay, now there's actual red flags. And it's like, well, if we were to start addressing those early in your twenties and prevent there from ever even being any red flags, why wouldn't we do that? And I think that's kind of the service that we provide and also teaching the average everyday person, you know, like myself, who is not medically trained, like Dr. Hodgkiss, to learn, you know, when they're going through their extensive blood search blood work with their PCC and then a provider uh, about, you know, understanding, hey, this is why this level is suboptimal for me and why it's important or, you know, why it's such a negative thing for my heart health to have high ABOB levels. I mean, things that most people, you know, five years ago had no idea about, no idea about, but now you can almost become your own little expert when it comes to your health and longevity. And it's, you know, really, really awesome. And for me as a patient care coordinator, it's been such a fun process getting to see how many lives we get to change through, you know, not only addressing any medical issues that we might need through, through pharmacology or hormone replacement, but teaching those healthy lifestyle factors that Dr. Hotchkiss is talking about. And most of our treatment plans come with all of the uh, different exercise programming that we recommend, as well as guided meditation resources. I mean, really anything you can think of, how to optimize your sleep, everything that goes into keeping you uh, the healthiest that you can be long-term. And, uh, you know, the I guess one-on-one -on -one relationship that you build with someone like myself as a patient care coordinator is really awesome to see uh, because we're kind of your first line defense for any questions that you have, you know, maybe any, you know, beyond just uh, your medications and having questions on those, but things that we can help you to implement in your day-to-day -day life. And I think for us, that's probably what makes it the most rewarding is those long-term relationships and getting to see people change their lives through addressing anything they need to health and wellness. Absolutely. Now, to your point, you said, you know, you, you didn't learn the things that, you know, a doctor would have in medical school or such doctors didn't learn that thing either. To be frank, you know, yeah. there, we have courses like anatomy, physiology, pathology, where things are bad. There's literally no course that says optimization 101, you know, where we take a healthy individual and get them to better than healthy. We're always trying to, in medicine, we allow things to go on, like you said, until you reach pathology. And then we try to get you to a state where 
the pathology is basically managed and isn't causing more issue. And that's really about all, you know, like we kind of patch up the leaks and where we medicine's great at that. And I don't want to take away from medicine and where we're at medicine has done amazing things, but now there's a whole new emerging field of people who say, I just don't want to be status quo. Or in fact, I never want to get to the part place where I have pathology. I want to be mm -hmm. beyond. I want to be better than I am now. How can you, and you can't go to your doctor. Insurance isn't going to pay for you to go to your doctor and say, Hey, I'm perfectly fine. I'm great. I feel amazing. I want to feel better than amazing. And I want to excel. Insurance is never going to cover that ever. You, the doctor would not know what to do with you. They would be like, uh, you know, they, I have patients tell me all the time, you know, I went into my doctor. I didn't feel good. I, I told him, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff, right. But something's still missing. And they say, uh, you know, sleep more, which is a great recommendation, but it's like, it's pointless. If somebody's got like a hormonal deficiency that you haven't looked at and they won't look at it until they think in their mind, testosterone shouldn't be low until somebody's like 50. We won't look at it until then, but Hey, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe this dude has environmental exposures or something that's causing him to have lower hormones, like low thyroid or something. Maybe there's an inflammatory condition, like an autoimmune. And when you start mentioning these kind of things to your normal doctor, they look at you like you're a quack and that's fine. I look at a lot of people like they're a quack too. And I understand where those people are coming from, but just to your point, I mean, Merrick likes to scour the edges of the earth. And literally we have people all around the earth, which is really cool. You'd be talking to people from Australia yeah. and Thailand and the UK, all of these people, because there's a really small group of us people who want to do this stuff. Like this really cool, unique niche in life where we want to make people better versions of themselves. And they, we've kind of all come together and we have this like collective mind and you know, it's not really, I wouldn't, that's why I say, I don't even look at it as medicine or healthcare. It's different. I mean, we, we will link you up hopefully with a doctor who is very, has that similar mindset so that if you do need any medications, they can be, you know, abide by the rules and legal laws of prescribing those. But, you know, talking to somebody like yourself who is running 40 miles a, a week and maintains a physique like that's priceless. It's cool. So this was much longer than any, any ad that Merrick would have wanted us to run for them. But I just wanted to harp on it a little bit. We will we'll come up with a a better little like read that we'll throw in. I'm like, this is sponsored by Merrick. We'll come up with one of those. <laughs> if you haven't checked out Merrick already, do and we'll we can meet with you guys in person or, or kind of in person on Zoom over there. It'll be a lot of fun. So looking forward to meeting you guys. Yeah, and one other point I'd like to throw in on you know everything Dr. Hotchkiss said, I agree with. You know, the cool thing that you're also getting at Merrick is we're all continuing to learn as well. Um, you know, this is still a space that's, you know, still developing as far as the anti-aging longevity um, spot in medicine. And, you know, the great part is all of our PCCs to our providers and even our patients, we provide, you know, clinical resources and podcasts and webinars that happen, you know, ever so often. So, you know, we're all trying to continue to learn as the space grows. So, you know, a lot of times I think in medicine, and again, this is not to, you know, down the U.S. system how it is. Uh, some people just have to get stuck in their lane and that's how they treat because they don't have the time to learn. Whereas we have the benefit to continue our education and maybe one way that we view treating a certain ailment and might shift over the years. And that's, what's kind of cool is that I think we're kind of at that cutting edge of the space. And you know, that who you're working with is always trying to better their knowledge and keep you up to date as well. Exactly. So 
30 minutes later, long story short, we are now sponsored by Marikal. So you're going to be hearing a lot more about them. And we look forward to seeing you over there. Um, we'll see you in the next episode of the Atlas Hour.